What is up, everyone? Before we get into this episode, I just want to thank our sponsors, the African Students Association from the University of Notre Dame, for sponsoring us. And let's hear a bit more about what they have to say about their Pan African Youth Conference, which will be happening in March. Kwame Nkrumah, Julius Nyedere, Nelson Mandela, Patrice Lumumba. The historic mission of that first generation of African leaders was to liberate Africa from the throngs of colonialism and imperial domination. Thomas Sankara, Yoweri Museveni, Jerry Rawlings. The historic mission of the second generation of African leaders was to consolidate the gains from independence and to set Africa on the path to socio-economic transformation. As the current generation of young Africans, we too are faced with an important task of first, discovering what our historic mission is as a generation, and secondly, deciding whether to fulfill or betray that mission. Thus, the African Students Association of the University of Notre Dame will host a virtual edition of the Pan-African Youth Conference, which will bring together a Pan-African network of university students from Africa and across the world. Participants at the conference will grapple with four critical questions that are pertinent to our understanding of our historic mission as a generation. One, who are we as Africans? Where are we as a continent? How did we get here? And most importantly, where and how do we go from here? The conference will feature a keynote address from one of contemporary Africa's foremost thought leaders, Professor Achille Mbembe from the University of Cape Town. We invite you to be part of a Pan-African network of young Africans seeking to discover the historic mission of our generation and to fulfill it. Africa needs you. Will you answer the call? To register for this event, Follow the link in my bio, on my Instagram, or my TikTok. Let's get right into the episode. Hi, what is up, guys? My name is Adnan Shafi, and welcome yet again to another episode of Pariah Nation. We are almost halfway through season 12 now, and we're going to be discussing a topic that has been very, very dear to my heart. And I think it's not really talked about enough. We're talking about POC unity. Is it a myth or not? And we're going to be looking at it from different perspectives. But before we even get into the podcast, I don't want other POC to sort of, uh, to, to sort of listen to this podcast and just sort of assume that it's Black people just coming out to bash every single other group. We acknowledge that there are definite strengths to this idea and concept of POC unity. But at the same time, there are issues that need to be talked about. And that is exactly what we plan to do in a very methodical and a very logical fashion. That's exactly what we plan to do. And we have a guest that is revisiting the show. We have Yuna. Could you just tell us a bit more about yourself, where you come from, what you read about, and your your views? Hi, uh, my name is Yuna. I am Nigerian. I'm an artist. I am also interested in Pan-Africanism, socialism, communism. I read about pre-colonial um, revolutionary texts and post-colonial and yeah and um, I also read about you know, effect of imperialism and internationalism too. Awesome thank you so much wonderful to have you here Iuna and now obviously I'm going to just introduce Ayumide. Uh, Ayumide tell us a bit about yourself and uh, just tell us a bit more about your general view on this topic. Hi Adnan. Oh my God. Hi guys. Um, my name is Plantation, but like Adnan has permission to call me Ayemide today. 
Um, I'm an artist. I'm a Nigerian artist based in France. And I am a contemporary photographer and performance artist. And my work is centered on Black identity and spirituality. And yes, um, it's been a while since I've gone back to my books on African and like Black identity and Black thoughts. So I feel I'm going to talk on like past history and also the amount of leftist media like I watch every day. I watch, I sleep to Hassanabi and I wake up to Hassanabi. Yeah, it was even funny. I was watching um, Are You The One? <laughs> yesterday and every sexist part I was thinking like a leftist I was just like this is wrong this is wrong and this is wrong so yes yeah yeah thank you so much Ayamide guys and I'm so excited to delve into this topic because obviously yeah, we have one East African that's me but we have two people who have you know they're from both from Nigeria essentially and we're just having a conversation I feel like it's very central to what we as diasporan Africans are sort of experiencing. <clears throat> and the first thing I just wanna start off by saying is, even before we get into the deep discussions, like this concept of POC and in the UK, they call it BAME. I'm not gonna lie, it really does trigger me, right? Because yes, I appreciate that. Yes, if you wanna talk about privileged people in terms of history, and if you're talking about it in a colonial context and in terms of race, Yes, we know that the only race that exists that is out there in terms of the racial paradigm is the white race in terms of privilege. So white people, we can agree on privilege. And if you don't, you can just go ahead and listen to the rest of my podcast on that topic and get educated. But um, we'll just dive into uh, uh, this idea of what BAME is, you know, Black, Asian, and I think it's ethnic minority, minority ethnic. The main issue with this for me is like, even as a law student, sometimes I'm reading through information. Sometimes I'm reading through studies and I find out that, oh, 22% of people uh, from the BAME community, you know, you hear, you see all these statistics. Then I'm wondering, what about the Black community? The problem with grouping up people together is that you don't really get to see the strat stratification, mm. you know? And like, it doesn't really make sense to me. It's like, yes, POC unities, I'd say it's, it's definitely necessary to demolish the standing system of racism. But when you label POC and BAME and you start to put it into statistics, you also start to dilute the struggle of, of mm. the unique struggles of all these unique groups together. You know, what do you think, guys? Yeah, I, I think um, the BIM, like the creation of BIM is very like problematic because of how, you know, this, um, how the stats will, will look like, you know, after the creation. You know, it doesn't really reflect, um, it doesn't reflect this like individual like communities, it doesn't like reflect their plights or anything. Like, you know how stats work. Most of the time is not the actual reflection of what's going on. So I think it's also an effort of, you know, of the British government to, to um, you know, like, to not like care about specific like communities. I think specifically the black community, you know, because if they have good stats from being, they'll be like, oh, you guys are doing well. And it doesn't even reflect everybody just like how i feel like the asian american term is not inclusive to every like asian because this like they look at uh, like the the term is being used for like specific asians so like you get what i'm saying and it's just really like you know like 
it is like problematic, I guess. Yeah, and what I think is even worse is sometimes it leads to fallacious reasoning because people say that, oh, you know what? BAME is doing well, therefore black people are doing well, therefore yeah. Asians are doing well, therefore minority ethnic are doing well. Same it might just be one um it might just be one group that is doing like very well and it's going to obviously up to stats because like stats doesn't really reflect how things are like how things are exactly like going. One guy would just be like be saying so many things that just describe and it was just so random. It was so like he was trying to like it was just so fake. Um, I just feel like, you know, Gen Z is really, really obsessed with black culture. Like, I was really obsessed with blackness and it doesn't make any sense. Like, on TikTok, they came up with this Gen Z slang, Gen Z language, stan culture, and all of these things are just, you know, things black people do or what they have created. Like, when people say, um, like, period or all of these things, like, People's grandmothers used to say these things like, and this way, this way things that were not, you know, like it was not like like what I already said, was not accepted by you know, white people. It's just like speaking pigeon, you know. It, it's not something that, that that was like it's not even still as like um accepted in you know, in our society because it has not been approved by the white people. They said that okay, this is something you can use. So like you get. It, I think, you know, whiteness has this obsession with other cultures and it, it, it's, you know, it kind of like gives it like validation on, okay, if this is good or not, like, because like in whiteness is like anything that is white is the default, like anything that is white is, you know, the original, like that's how they think. And I think the most annoying thing is seeing, you know, upper class um, white kids on TikTok and on Twitter um do this cyber ghetto cyber ghetto thing like i'm like like what does this mean what is cyber ghetto like do you understand them you know acting like they're in a gang and i'm like the people that make music like this it's not like some of them it's not it's not like they choose to you know make music about being in a gang it's like it's some people's lives like do you understand what i'm saying it's not like they choose to grow up in poverty and you know the only option of you know actually making in like making something for themselves is like to go into music like like they don't like I just feel like they just they just don't see like black people as humans but like they interact with the culture for me from a point of view of like oh I'm just going to pick the one I like or I'm going to pick the one that is popular now and then I'll dump it like it's just like, you know, somebody describing a language and finds a phrase and he does use it, uses it for like a month. I was like, oh, this is old. I'm like, but like, that's like people's dialects. Like they speak like that. They didn't just pick up one word or one phrase and like they dumped it. Like, like I said, like people's grandmother speak like that. So it's just, it doesn't really, like, I don't, I don't get the obsession and and on um, like addressing like uh, POCs, I, I feel like they too have this uh, obsession with everything black people do. Like they just uh, oh, why can't we not be like the black community? Like we have completely different experience. And I feel like people don't look at 
the global, you know, they don't look at all anti-blackness functions like globally, like in South Korea, they don't like black people. And then you come on the internet, you see a lot of people infantilizing these like, people like, oh, they're just conservative or oh, this people. Like stop infantilizing South Koreans. They are racist and they are anti-black. Period. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you see, yeah, like saying... in the TikTok comments, they'll be like, they don't really know. Yeah, and, they like, don't really understand English. They don't do and has, like, That's a lie. There's freaking internet. There's internet, and people have been alive for many years. They know what is wrong and what is not wrong. They don't live in a bubble separate from social media and the weight of and what black people are experiencing. When they did that whole black square for Black Lives Matter, every K-pop star puts a black square every korean person every every person from all around the world so you cannot tell me that that they're separated from the world that they do not know the, the conversation on anti-blackness and racism it's stop we can't give them excuses anymore yeah and also i'd say i'd say when it comes to <clears throat> korea obviously we've discussed right um yeah when, when we say when we say koreans guys we're not talking about all we're saying that it is part, there is structural racism in Korea. That's what we're saying, right? When we're talking about Korea as a country in general. I've heard, I've literally heard full-on stories, right? Um, of, <clears throat> you know, people who have been there and like, you know, they're Black people and they've talked about the minority. I don't even know the, the minority of Black people. The, the percentages are literally so, so small, right? So obviously, yeah, when you interact with certain communities, and there's major anti-blackness uh, being promoted through your TV screens, you expect the rest of society to inherit some level of cultural bias, right? And I mean, I immediately just, I wanna move on to the, the topic of North Africa because you did bring up a couple of things. I've already recorded a podcast on this, but we even talked about uh, the DNA being mostly indigenous. So like, you know, for the last at least 400, 500 to 1,000 years, right? So if you wanna talk about, do I consider North Africans Africans? I would say yes. But also you need to be able to look at the different communities that reside there. Obviously you have the Amazigh who are actually indigenous for more than 2000 years, right? Like a really, really long time. And then of course you have though the Arabized North Africans and still they've been on the North African, like you know, in North Africa for quite a while. Now, it, the thing is though, what I hate is that some, some North Africans are of the opinion that there is no such thing as racism in North Africa. But let me just tell you this, like the, the dumbest thing that I've seen is, for example, you look at a map, I think I was going through this other database, I don't know, I was looking for certain cases uh, on this legal website or whatever. Then I just saw Europe. And I don't know why Morocco, Tunisia, and I believe it was Libya, were classed as Europe. Like why? Like why is that? Right? Or if you want to talk about the Middle Eastern affairs. Oh, uh, you look at, why am I saying Morocco there? Morocco is literally, Egypt maybe I can understand because literally it's like toward, on the border issue of the Middle East. But if you're talking about a country like Morocco or Tunisia, why is it there in the Middle Eastern section? This is what I'm trying to see. And this is exactly what I mean. Like that in and of itself, that want to separate from South of Saharan Africa and I'm not saying Sub-Saharan Africa, I'm switching it with South of Saharan Africa. You can find my reasons in another podcast that I did. But the reason why people want to uh, separate from South of Saharan Africa is because South of Saharan Africa is associated with blackness. Simple answer. That's a simple answer. 
and it's dangerous. We need to watch out for it. And that's my opinion on whatever's going on in North Africa because I've heard people as well, like we've experienced it in, in very subtle ways um, in our school, obviously, uh, just in very, very subtle ways. Uh, but we've also seen that there are some people who have gone there and brought back stories which are very interesting in, in regards to racism. So that's what I would say. It's like, yeah, we're not trying to point fingers. We're trying to evaluate what exactly is going on, what anti-Black experiences people actually have in uh, these communities. I also um, feel like we really did experience it, especially both of us, me and Adnan, in our old school. It was very subtle and it was very weird. It was very, um, am I the only one who thinks this Adnan? It was just the relationships South African, sorry, North Africans had with like black, like West Africans, South Africans. It was very, very weird. I don't know how to point it out. It felt very, it felt very hostile in a weird way, in a weird sort of way, especially when they came together. And I feel like that's something I'm even, some, there was a time I, I went downstairs where I live, because I live in student housing, and the, there's this like mini library where people can study, and I wanted to study there. And the North Africans, like, I, I think they are from Morocco, they were all, they were like sitting down there. And it had this very subtle, like hostile, it was very hostile. I don't know how to, points it out, but you could feel that they were hostile. And it's something I feel like a lot of Black people experience when we go to like Arab spaces. Like it's something we really experience. Like as a Black woman, I'm not going to feel safe in somewhere like Saudi Arabia. I will not, unless like the person accompanying me is rich, like a rich Black man or a rich, because I even feel like I will be safe next to a rich Arab man. I feel like that is like a dangerous space for me to be in. I'll feel safe with like someone from Senegal <laughs> shooting my shot. So I'll be, yeah. <laughs> I'll be safe with someone tall, rich from Senegal walking in with me. Because the first thing they'll think is I'm, I'm a household. They'll think I'm a cleaner. And you know, it's it, it's really, I even let's even talk about Ethiopia and Somali and anti-blackness. I feel like because yeah. <laughs> like it's even a bigger conversation because sometimes sometimes I go to this place in YouTube called Somali Story. My family disowned me. This babe said that her family disowned her because she brought like someone that she brought a black American, an African American. I said, Jesus. This like I send that video. I send that video. Yeah, it's scary. It's what? real shit. It's scary. And then you even think of Ethiopia, like anti-blackness in Ethiopia, me like negroid features, flat nose, going to somewhere like Ethiopia, I'm not going to be safe. And it's so scary because I'm even, it's even worse for me, I'm a woman. Can you imagine? It's worse for me, I'm a woman. Like I can't travel. Let's even talk about femicide in South Africa. This is real things. Let's talk about femicide in Mexico. Femicide in like, it is real stuff. And you realize that as people, especially as black women, we are not safe anywhere. We're not safe in South Africa. I made an oath to never travel to South Africa after I had two dreams that I was killed there. Seriously, I said I would never send me to that country. Because once I graduated from Italy, I had two dreams that I died in South Africa. I said I'm never going there. 
I'm not going to be safe in South Africa. I'm not going to be safe when I go to Egypt one day. I'm not going to be safe if I go to India by myself. Because what they, I had this story on YouTube of this girl saying that in the taxi, like in the taxi stops, there'll be from the airport, if you don't like plan your own taxi or go to the right taxi station, they're like taxis parked outside. And then there'll be like a woman in a line with other women. So you feel safe. So what happened is that it's like a, it's a human traffic, sex trafficking ring. And they put another lady to like calm you down. And you realize as a black person, as a black woman specifically, let's even talk about Italy. Like, can we talk about sex trafficking that happens in Italy for black women, especially Nigerian women? It's like, it's so big. So it is so dangerous to, it's even bigger than the conversation of black people in the conversation of people of color. It's like this dangerous, realistic, this is this really real thing that to be black is to be a victim, is to be a victim to violence. Like once you're born, this is what happens. Especially when you're not, you're not even top tier black. Like top tier black is like light skin. Like I'm not, you're not even light skin. So you can't even go on TV. But also you can't even go on TV. Like, so it's, it's so big. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's like the, obviously yes, people like, I think for me, it exists mainly in microaggressions, but I'm just gonna share a small story. Like, um, I just don't know. Sometimes I, I really, I really feel as if there's some situations where I've been in, and it's automatically I start to mistrust. I cannot be myself fully as a black person, even when I'm sometimes around some people of color. Um, and I remember that I was with, uh, I was hanging out with some uh, Desi boys and he said something right one of these dudes said something and um the way it came up it just made me so so uncomfortable like my heart did not feel right after that conversation right and the thing is i don't even think they were intending to be like this but it just it really ticked me off those three instances situation one we started talking about um colonization, we started talking about racism, and I was talking about Black Lives Matter, da, da, da. Then they said, but weren't, wasn't India also colonized? And then I was like, I mean, yes, it was, but as I've just, I've just quoted the Shivji article, by the way, and we know how exactly Indians had a position of privilege in East Africa during the colonial period. And I've also mentioned this, I was reading on another website, and I'll share the link on my link tree if I'm able to I was reading a, uh, on this other website that in the 1970s, around that time, that Indians in East Africa had almost, uh, it's almost 74% or even more, right? Of the share of the businesses in Africa, right? And this is, yeah, you're like, oh, but uh, no, this is post-colonialism. Who had the power before colonialism as well, right? Who was the managers in the workshops, right? Who takes over those colonial businesses after the settlers are scared by the revolution and then they go home? Who, right? And yes, we can talk about Idi Amin and how he expelled Indians. And that obviously that was wrong, categorically wrong. And we're not trying to say that the black community has not committed any forms of you know, racism against other people. That's not the aim of this podcast, right? Us as black people are just sort of trying to abstract our experiences and abstract what's been going on in the world in general in relation to this POC discussion. So don't take it the wrong way. Second thing that happened in that conversation we're playing a game that included some cards and you had to exchange certain cards. I don't really want to explain the game. But now he had to exchange a card with me 
and someone else. So he told the other person, you know, exchange this card for the black and give it to the black. And I was like, I just felt, I felt dehumanized in that whole exchange. I just felt automatically, automatically just dehumanized. It's like, give the card to the black. Like, what the hell does that mean? Right? It's like, I hate when people say blacks instead of black people. It's like, even when you say whites, that's, that's really, really messed up. Like, why are you distilling people's identities down to just a word that represents a color? It's like, black people, yes, that makes more sense. Then there's a third instance, right? Someone asked me a question, right? Obviously, this question was well-meaning and all that different stuff. But I know that there was an underlying assumption before that, before that as well. It's like, you know, Black people have immigrate, uh, immigrated to the UK and uh, so have uh, Desi people. Um, why is it that some Desi people um, are doing better in these industries and doing that in that industry? And then I'm just there like, are you, are you, <laughs> you know what the assumption is? People, there's this assumption, even when it comes to immigrants, oh, and this, yes, the model minority myth, especially when it comes to Eastern Asians and Desi peoples. It's like, oh, look, the Desi people can work harder than you. They're smarter than your black students. The Asian, the Eastern Asian students can work harder than you. What's wrong with black people? That's the question. Wait, that you're that, asking. Yeah, basically same Ben Shapiro's argument. He's always like, the, the problem with the black community is that black community is that because of affirmative action and also giving the black community stimulus checks, the reason is that the black community doesn't have independence that can work itself. That's why Chinese immigrants can have stronger, stronger children. That's the problem with the black community. Hi, what is up guys? My name is Adnan Shafi and welcome yet again to another episode of Pariah Nation. We are almost halfway through season 12 now and we're going to be discussing a topic that has been very, very dear to my heart. And I think it's not really talked about enough. We're talking about POC unity is it a myth or not? And we're going to be looking at it from different perspectives. But before we even get into the podcast, I don't want other POC to sort of, uh, to, to sort of listen to this podcast and just sort of assume that it's Black people just coming out to bash every single other group. We acknowledge that there are definite strengths to this idea and concept of POC unity. But at the same time, there are issues that need to be talked about. And that is exactly what we plan to do in a very methodical and a very logical fashion. That's exactly what we plan to do. And we have a guest that is revisiting the show. We have Yuna. Could you just tell us a bit more about yourself, where you come from, what you read about, and your, your views? Hi, uh, my name is Yuna. I am Nigerian. I'm an artist. I am also interested in Pan-Africanism, socialism, communism. I read about pre-colonial um revolutionary texts and post-colonial and yeah and um i also read about you know effect of imperialism and internationalism too. grouping people to one identity of people of color removes the role of other individuals and bodies taking plain a part in anti-blackness and i'm talking from a standpoint of like a black person i'm not talking from a standpoint of like another person of color I feel like it's such a dangerous thing to generalize the weights and the story of, of different kinds of identities and people of color. Because in a way, something I realized, I was listening to like a podcast 
And it was like a lot of people of color come from very conservative communities that are inherently like anti-Black. And when you just group them under one umbrella, you don't recognize their role towards like othering Black people. And it's like serious othering. Like as if I go to India as a Black, Negroid featured plus size woman, it's not going to be safe for me. If I go to Korea, they're going to abuse me and they're going to degrade me. If I go to China, we can see I'm not even going to feel safe. And so just saying people of color, I feel like it, it usually just works in more like Western spaces. And even in those Western spaces, when you group people like people of color, it kind of creates this like safety net for other people of color to not be accountable for the years and years and years of anti-blackness they perpetrated. Do you get what I mean? Yo, I'm totally, I'm in total agreement. And even when you mentioned like places like Korea and went some places like, you know, Japan and China, we're not saying everyone is racist. That's not what we're trying to say, but we can see it in the media. We can see it in the film. In fact, there was a film festival in China a few weeks ago and there was blackface. We can talk about K-pop and how all of these different, you know, the K-Stan fans, I mean, yeah, the, the fans, the K-pop stands, right? All these different fans. When there was racism that was happening, the, the Black K-pop stands were coming out and saying that, you know what, hey, this is racist. Why don't you guys say something about it? People got reported, their accounts got reported, they got taken down. There was also another, another Black girl that was doing this YouTube uh, sort of vlog. And she was telling this story about how she was dating this uh, K-pop uh, star, basically. It was a very new K-pop star. And then people started saying, oh, he wouldn't, why would he date you? You're a black girl. And this is what's happening in the comment section, right? And the thing is, people need to just stop acting like it doesn't exist. And another thing that you just brought up is like, you're right. It gives people a safety net to think that they cannot be racist. But I am so sorry. If you look at the way people were colonized, right? We were not colonized in the same way. And the, the structural racism that was imported to all these different colonial states was one that meant that Black people were at the bottom. You'd have maybe Desi people and some in the middle, along with people from Eastern Asia. And then you'd also have Arabs who are towards the top. And then you'd have white people. And even I can just, I'm just gonna quote you something from an article from someone named Isa G. Shivji. And it was published in 1986 called Law State and the Working Class in Tanzania. It was talking about the conditions of the semi-proletariat and basically how there was oppression happening during the colonial period. And this is a quote from, um, it's, I believe it's page 72, right? You can just search it up if you want to. But he says, and please, I quote- Please Adnan, put that on your link tree. I would love that on your, cause I'm getting yeah. a lot of readings there. Guys, yeah. please go to Adnan's link tree. It has the best joints. I'm using his link tree for my research. It has the best joints. Thank you. Thank you, Ayamide. No, it, honestly, guys, I mean, like, when you when you really look at um, the stuff that I have on my link tree, it's like books. I think there's an 800-page book there. That's a UNESCO history book on African history, and it's written by African authors. But we'll get into that a bit later towards the end of the podcast. But Shivji essentially says this when he's talking about flogging and essentially how Africans were being beat, beaten, essentially, for not doing work. And he says that 
Virtually despotic master-servant relationships became even more oppressive by the intense racial prejudices of the employers and the agents who were always either Europeans or Indians. And I want to highlight this very quickly. You can be mm. like, oh wait, but, but Indians were colonized. Yes, they were colonized. And, but if you look at the treatment in the colonies, even in Nairobi, right? Nairobi, Kenya, how did they segregate yeah. Nairobi? They segregated Nairobi as black or black African, Indian, and then white. I think so they also have, did that in South Africa and Gandhi even was racist. pushed for that. Gandhi <laughs> yes. even pushed for that. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if you remember prior, like we were saying this yesterday, like on Clubhouse, you know, when I was trying to explain um, that quote-unquote POCs were like in the um, social order of um, colonized countries like um, like Kenya or South Africa or Namibia, there was whites, like colored, and then black people. So like their presence in that system or their presence in that country contributed to the marginalization of black people. And, you know, they never felt bad about it. And they even, you know, enforced mm. or they, you know, made sure like there was a clear, you know, difference between them and the black people. So like, and now most of them, you know, they have like, there are some people now in South Africa or in, in this other countries that are like quote unquote colored, they now want to claim that they're Africans. And I don't think, you know, I don't think that Can I that be, makes any sense. This is really risky, but I think okay. Adnan, you even like talked about this in our like questions on like North Africans and people from Morocco and Tunisia and the deep anti-blackness. Like even questions like, do North Africans have, North Africans like focusing on places like Egypt, Morocco and Tunisia, do they have, the rights to call themselves African, where it is so clear that they're so deeply anti-Black, you know? And it's like, it's like, it, it's a lot of questions. And on, even on the thing on Korea, I was, you know, and I was a very huge K-pop stan for a long time. I was a K-pop stan from year 11 through ALA. And like, I stopped in 2019 when I realized that they don't like me, like they don't like me, they like my culture, it was a deep realization because they love my culture. The cultural appropriation is so deep, but they do not like my skin color. And any black K-pop stan that says that they like black people, like the Korean culture in general, and I don't, like in general, their culture is accommodating to black people and they are not racist is really deceiving themselves because it takes a lot of pain to know that a culture that you, you are such a fan of, like K-pop, Korean dramas, that they're so deeply anti-Black. Like if you watch their news, their K-pop news on their news, news websites, they whitewash all their celebrities' faces. If you watch their interviews, like a, an, a, um, a K-pop star, Wendy, she impersonated a black person. She, she like had a black voice, a black American voice. And she used like this very like, you know, the, 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 the colloquial language and the language of black, black Americans, it's very distinct. 
but like she generalized the whole body she didn't like like black americans have different like black america is not just african americans are not just one hey what you're doing it's, it's not like that it's like different what what it different um different phonetics different slangs different words and you can't just generalize it under one thing and it's even interesting to see gen z language is actually black american language and it's black american ghetto language these people be saying it's the shoes for me that's american black american ghetto language cap that's cap that's cap you see you're so based you're so based and it's that's so A-A-B-E, straight up and it's, it's like a, it's a dialect gen z, you know my friend called me out because my friend i have to shout out my friend Tunye Tunye alara he's an artist Ola Tunye alara he's an amazing artist and he was, I was saying, yo, you're like 28 and you're fucking old. <laughs> and you're freaking old. And you're like, because he was turning 29 and you have one more year till you're like an old millennial. And I was saying, you're so based, you're so based, but you're old. And I was like, you don't know Gen Z language. And he was like, Gen Z language is just white people claiming black ghetto language and black american language that has been thought of as not good enough not worthy and it's so painful when you realize that white people take elements of our culture they make it look cool because it's, a, it's acceptable for a white person to wear blackness but it's not acceptable for a black person to be black and to wear their blackness we're not giving permission to do that it is seen as ghetto unworthy and subordinate and it brings me back to sociology where the white, the, the, the bourgeoisie, the upper culture decide what is high culture. And you even have, like, it's so interesting to see like white middle-class kids on TikTok are defining what is like cool culture and what is acceptable culture, but it's based on like the black experience and they're not like giving credits. And it goes back to Korean K-pop culture. I would sit down on YouTube for hours. I would search um, Korean guy talks about black women and you have these korean men that see pictures of black women and they'll do interviews would you date a black woman he's like no i don't like them so many of them and then whenever you find one that says you he'll date one you usually be korean men react to black women i i then i swear search this online <laughs> and they freaking forget the years of segregation and not putting good schools like there's even a video on YouTube of a black community not having a supermarket near them. All they have is McDonald's near them. You are not even putting black health as a priority. You don't put black schools as a priority. You segregate. Like, see, the problem is that people forget that segregation is very near. It was just ended in the 60s. Let's do something that's really fresh. Let's think of apartheid just ended in the 90s, that's, that's, that's fresh information. That was how, let me, okay, to the racists that listen to this once in a while, because I know there's always going to be one racist that wants to, to pretend to educate themselves, but really is a bigoted centrist that wants to feel good because he has a black friend and he has black information. South Africa, because we're going to use that to illustrate America, because in America, all their books are in black and white. So they've deceived you to think racism ended in the 20s and in the 40s. It ended, it's fresh news. In South Africa, they put all the black people in slums. And if you go there, you can see the slums very well. 
Same thing in America. You put them in ghettos and segregated families, broke families apart. Like it, it is disgusting and it's appalling. They had access to nothing. They don't put good schools in the area. They don't put good hospitals in the area. They make sure and intentionally destroy the black family and the black family's access to, to, to materials. So as a Nigerian person, because I'm also talking to the bigoted West Africans, because the problem with West Africans is we think that we'll be the next billionaires. That's the sad truth. You will not be the next Bill Gates just because you say you like capitalism. You are going to be broke. Period. You'll be hearing Nigerians say like, oh, but if a Nigerian goes to America, they always do well. They just learn to ignore it. Baby girl, let me tell you something. You can ignore it. You have the opportunity to ignore it because you, you have this semblance of having space and culture. Imagine your culture being ripped from you and your mother being ripped, your grandmother being ripped, your family is being broken. The textbooks have deceived you that, and all these fake movies have deceived you that slavery just was make people picking cotton and being whipped on their backs. No, it was much more than that. Tested and um, and they tested so many drugs on black people. It is bigger than that. So you cannot deceive yourself to think that your story and your experience is the same thing as as a black person in America or as a black person in France or any other place. It is completely different. So just because you, a nice, cute Indian, and you're listening to this, because we have our Indian brothers and sisters who are also carrying internalized anti-Blackness from their parents that they live with every day. Let me tell you something. Just because you got five, just because you got an A-star does not mean you are better than a Black person and your story is different. I finished my story. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to start from um, the North Africans. I feel like the the way they engage with um, Africans like us is like from a from a superior uh, like point of view, from a superior position. And I feel like there's this particular tension, and like sometimes I just I don't know. I just feel for like you know black Muslims that have to engage with them every time. It's just they always just see, they always just see black people as either like they just have this notion that regardless of who you are, they are just automatically better than you, or you know, or like they just feel like oh, if you're Muslim, oh, the religion saved you from being a, a savage, and you know, you should be grateful to me. Like, it's it's just really really bad, and um, I think you um, I think you mentioned Morocco. Uh, Morocco left the African Union because the African Union was against their occupation of Western Sahara, you know, and because of that, they, you know, were very mad about it and they aligned themselves with Europe. So when they wanted to uh, push for a bid to host a World Cup, then they now said, oh, they are also Africans too. Like, uh, let the African Union vote for us so we can host a World Cup it's um spain because we are like an african like country so i feel like they always get to pick and choose where they are like if it wasn't if it wasn't the you know if um being african wasn't like um like a big part of pop culture in 2021 i don't think most of them we ever consider themselves africans and that's just facts um to also address like the anti-blackness in um on africa I think, you know, they have this, 
um and, and i've seen them with a lot of cartoons and infographics of them saying um you know bantu africans are dirty uneducated uh, savages all of that and you know and we we are the original people and some of them will go for us to say that we are even Semites, we are not Negroes or Amites, we are this, we are that. We had civilization. You guys didn't have civilization, you guys are those primitive, that's how they could capture you people. And all of that, you know, doesn't really make any sense. I just laugh, I just laugh about it. Like there was a time on Twitter, I was called this derogatory term that the Somali use, and you know, I just felt it was just very funny. And the guy was saying, you're a cutting picker, you're this and that. That's how your ancestors were slaves. I was like, what did I say? I always said, oh, this guy is, you know, you're anti-Black. Uh, what you said is anti-Black. And the next is like, oh, that's why you're a cutting picker. Yo, you know, can, I, can I add to that, bro? You yeah, know, this is sure. actually This is actually my, my theory, right? And I listed this in my, my podcast called But We Got Beef With The Mollies. And I... I think it's important to to assess this point and it's important it's, it's actually interesting that it's come up because we're talking about poc people are like listening right now oh ah, no i thought you're going to talk about poc this is about colorism in the black community and futurism no let me explain to you something when you see mainly that as i said the sizable minority in the somali community saying i'm not black i'm somali this is exactly what they mean you should have no problem identifying with being called black. Because what does black mean? Essentially, it's referring to people who traditionally, and I say traditionally because there's an exception to the rule, right? Traditionally have extremely dark skin. And the exception in this case is many people who are from India who have darker skin, because even if you put them together, the Indian person will have more privilege. So race is defined by privilege and skin color. So if you do not use those two things, you're going to start getting contradictions, right? So now, if you look at it from that perspective, what these Somali people are trying to say, the sizable minority, may I add, that when they're, when they're saying, I'm not black, I'm Somali, it's because of a couple of reasons, right? They try to start going into, oh, you know, but we look different, you know, phenotypically different. And we're like, um, but my lots are also, you know, seen as black and they don't necessarily have the same noses as people who are, for example, Bantus, right? <clears throat> so when it comes down to that, right, they start to say it's basically thinly veiled what I'd call racism because they're trying to create their own race. They're trying to create their own race by saying what? I am not black. And they also mention what? Cotton pickers. They also mention what? All these different racial slurs, right? They're essentially creating their own race because they want to seem superior. If you're not black, then what are you? You're implying that Somali is a new race. You're implying as a you're, you're implying as an Ethiopian that that's a new race, and obviously even within the Ethiopian community, I rarely see stuff like that. It's mainly just like the small small minority. It's more so like the trolls in the Somali community, right? So they're effectively trying to create their own new race to become another version of POC, and trying to create their own identity so that they can use that as a way to oppress other Black people. It's really interesting. Can I say something? I think uh, for sure I know that. A lot of people that say this are, are trolls, but you know, sometimes they are not actual trolls, they are like actual people that have this pan Somali vision and you know, like, oh, we own this place, you own that place, uh, we are better than these people. 
like there's some actual normal people like you get what i'm saying they're not trolls they're like actual people that think like that and um i feel like it is a problem that you know like i'm sorry i'm dwelling on dwelling on this for too long but i think it's a problem that you know somalis should you know address they shouldn't like if somebody comes up with a concern like that should say okay like do you understand they should take more like they should be more accountable for stuff like that because if it's only truths, then why is it such a big part of like the identity on the internet? Like you get what I'm saying? Fact, 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 man. I'm the, so, um, with Somali lineage, I agree. Yeah, I so like agree. moving forward, yeah. Um, I think we talked about uh like post-colonial um, you know, statistics of like business and enterprises. Um, I use Nigeria as an example on Ghana. In Nigeria, um, 10 years after independence, 75% of all of the businesses, uh, you know, were owned by um, non-like Black people. They're owned by um, mostly Indians, Italians, um, Lebanese, and, you know, so many people that came as a result of colonization. So, it, like, I think the, the problem is, like, people don't see the link between colonization and you know these people having like our um quote unquote the, the poc contributed to colonization you know they played a very big role because they were the middlemen they were the guys that brought all of the goods the resources for making those goods were you know um were mined and were um yeah like they were mined by the Africans and then taken by taken away to to Europe by colonialists. And then the middlemen sold those goods for a very, very high price. So, you know, if I was like a cocoa farmer and I was working on a cocoa plantation for the British, I would produce a lot of cocoa. And then when the when um, Bonvita and um, chocolate is brought back to my country, I wouldn't be able to afford it because the middlemen who hike their prices. And, you know, I couldn't even get a job if I was, say, I, I was, like, I didn't want to do farming anymore. And I wanted to get, like, a job in a factory that was owned by an Indian. I wouldn't, they wouldn't give me a job because they feel like I'm not a skilled you know, I won't be skilled. Uh, I won't like. I won't be skilled enough to do the the job. So, it, it was just like you know, it was a structure. Colonization was a structure, and one of the pillars of the structure was um indirect rule, and was also the middlemen, the traders, and yeah, and even Africans couldn't even become middlemen too. In some countries, like in Uganda, they couldn't become middlemen because, you know. It's, it was now a threat to, you know, their existence in, in that country. Um, I also feel like um, the uh, minority, the, mi the minority, uh, model minority meat is just, you know, it doesn't make any sense because like people don't consider the fact that if you come from another country, obviously you probably have an education better education you don't have to deal with you know structural like um 
racism that will prevent you from going to a good school or having access to good healthcare or you know having access to a better life so when you come to you know any country like obviously your credit is going to be good because you're just coming to a new country you don't have to deal with you know anything and then you it's, it's very easy for you to build on from there than you know the foundational like black person that's been in america you know that has seen structural violence and has grown up in you know in a very like bad state so and again i always tell people that you know that's why a lot of people like if you remove music and like sports what do you think black people will be doing there won't be any like you know there will almost be no billionaire like black person Again, that's an interesting view, man, in relation to it. And I mean, I'm going to get to you in a second, um, because yeah, even, even in J. Cole, I think he mentions in the song, I can't remember the name of the song, but it's in, it's in uh, the album, For Your Eyes Only. It's like, they tell a brother, sell dope rap or go to NBA. In that order, like, you know, that's basically, that's what he's, he's talking about because of like, obviously the cycle of poverty into, you know, structural racism, all these different things. But yeah, we've dwelt a lot on this. And I think that we should also just, consider how fragile at some points in time POC unity is. So I think it's, it's, it's very important for us to just look at how fragile at times POC and BAME unity can actually be. And it comes down to this main thing. You'll find out that, you know, BLM is one of these things. I'm not gonna lie, BLM has actually been building for a while. And obviously we're not saying that there's been no major movements from other groups and everything like that. But sometimes it actually, you can see some people, and if I can term it something like jealousy, right? Some people have this sort of, I don't even know where it comes from. It's like jealousy because, uh, oh, you know, no one wants to talk about our issues. It's like no one stopped, like no one stopped you from talking about your issues. And it's not like black people don't try, even when there's this whole thing of, and yeah, it's still ongoing, right? You know, the, uh, the anti-Asian, like, you know, hate crimes that are happening here in the UK, in the US because of coronavirus, et cetera the Asian man who was shot and killed uh, by the police in the US. Black people have been posting about this stuff, right? So I think sometimes it ends up being this sort of hyper jealousy of like, you know, why aren't our issues being talking about Black people get special treatment? And it's like, I don't really know where it comes from. It just shows that Black people are fighting hard. It does not mean that we're not here to support you. So sometimes I even think that in and of itself is anti-Black because you're just trying to suppress a movement that has been successful so far, at least is making progress. Then. Like another led to this is that when you see now a black person, right, doing something like I think there was a uh, there was a robbery that happened at one of these Hispanic stores, right, and yeah, it was in a Hispanic uh, majority area, and it was a black person who robbed it. Like obviously, there's no way to actually like you know prove it was racially motivated or not. You could you could argue that it was racially motivated subconsciously, but we're not even gonna dwell on that. It's like they walked into a store, right, and even if they were doing it as a racist thing. Right? I think they shot someone and killed someone. You go through the comments under the TikTok, what are people saying? But BLM, right? And, and then they automatically say, oh, so you want us to stand up for black lives, but you, you don't want to support them? As if, and this is the issue again, when a black person does something wrong, the entire community takes the fall. People point to the community and ask, why did you do nothing? What, are you, what is wrong with your community? What are you producing about this community? And then they use that as an excuse to be anti-Black. Even in the Muslim community, when there was this hadith that was used in a Rihanna song, people, I think this Black girl said something, right? 
uh, and trying to defend Rihanna, right? Wrongly in doing so, right? Then they started attacking black people. They're like, oh, you're mad about some braids, you're mad about knees in your neck, right? All these different things. It's like, why do some POC use a minority of the black community doing something right? Why do they use that as an attempt to be anti-Black? And also, you can call me stupid, you can call me dumb, you can insult me in any way. Why is the first thing that you come to a racist insult? Question yourself. Um, because, like, one, they see Black people as a monolith. So, if one, just one Black person does something, they're going to blame it on everybody. Like, it's just, it's the same thing. Like, it just shows that they don't they don't care, you know, they just, they just, they just want an egg. They just want um, something to say, oh, this is why I don't support you people. Because one person did something and then it's like, oh, that's why we don't support you. And like my theory about this is that, you know, I don't think any like POC group can like criticize like black people without being anti-black. Because as soon as one person does something, the next thing they turn to is like a racist thing or a stereotype, like, they understand, like, and not even like an attack or a critique on the person or what the person said or, or like the person's character is like an entire group of people. I also feel like um, people taking offense for one black mistake is such a good example of white fragility. What I've realized is that white people are scared to sound racist, especially white liberals. That is their biggest fear. White liberals and even people of color who are liberals, they are scared to sound racist. So what they do is they look for black people to speak their racist things, or they look for black mistakes to affirm their racist opinions. That's why people like Candace Owens, Owens exist. Candace Owens will have a job if Trump supporters or, or liberal fools did not need a black person to affirm that, 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 that dangerous ideals. Like for example, Breonna Taylor, the way she literally just smeared Breonna, Breonna, Breonna Taylor's story and spread so much mis misinformation that I was also misinformed because it was like after, like it was like, it wasn't that I heard it directly from her. You just hear other reflections and other reflections that you become misinformed. I was watching a video by her that like Hassanabi was like critiquing and it was a video of her talking about George Floyd. And it was so sad. The way she just smeared his name. She said he was on fentanyl and just lied on this man's story. And you know, white people and people of color are going to hear this and eat this up. In a comment on one of her videos, someone's in a comment on Hassan Ali's critique of her video. This guy, he said he's Chinese and his Chinese parents watched this and said, you see why? This is why we're better than um, than black, the black, black people, that good black people are obedient and they don't make mistakes. And I just remembered how, you know, in Nigeria, my parents would say, you know, when you're coming to America, this is like this, you just have to obedient, be obedient. The reason why these black Americans are getting in trouble and they're being arrested is because they're not being obedient and they're not conforming and they're not behaving well. I realize that people of color, because we come from very conservative households where we've been taught that white thought is superior, white culture is superior, white institutions are, are superior, and white capitalism is superior. 
white capitalism that is based on destroying black communities and black spaces. We're taught that all of that is superior. So one thing we're learning is to conform and obey. Because even, I also feel like in a weird way, I also really, in conversation of even in America, I can, also, I can even say Africans are people of color in terms of like, the, like it's weird. But you realize that Africans carry a lot of the same amount of anti-Blackness as an Asian person. And it's like, we might also be people of color. Like we're not, but like, we might also be people of color for African-Americans. Here's the thing, right? And this is, this is about to go on a heavy tangent. I'm so, so sorry. Heavy, heavy tangent, right? But um, me and the, that other person, right? Person X, we're just gonna call him individual X, right? So me and individual X, we were talking and then he said something really interesting, right? So you've heard the word Jarer, right? You've heard the word Jarer, right? It's a very controversial word, right? And I'm not gonna come out here and say I have a full monopoly on what the word means, but I'll tell you how it's been used. And that one I can fully claim fact. Right? I can tell you how that word has been used. People talk about how the Somali community uses it as a way to refer to tight curls or like a certain hairstyle. But how has it been used mainly in online settings? It's been used to discriminate against Bantu peoples, right? Or people who in quotes have wider noses and people who have um, essentially, you know, bigger lips on average. This is exactly what they are trying to say, right? So one second, bro, one second, right? This, no, this I, guy... I was just going to, sorry, I was just going to add to that. Like, even if you're going to describe people with their features, that's featureism too. Like, that's yeah, not good. Yeah, yeah. so even, yeah, I told the guy, right, about this word. I told him about the meaning, right? And I don't know, I was, I was so taken by, back by this comment that I had to actually rethink, like, what, what am I doing here? What am I doing sitting here, right? This is the fact of the matter. The guy, I don't know how it came up. Wait, Adnan, he called Adnan. me a Jarel. He called me yeah, a Jarel. Sorry, people right? out there, people and out there, when it feels racist, when it feels it's racist, racist. racist, I know, racist. I know you're so, an international student. I know it's hard. I know you're scared, but cut them off. Cut them off. Facts, facts. Because the thing is, he called me a Jarel, right? And I'm like, you're not even Somali. You don't understand that word. Don't ever say it again. Right? I told him that you not believe what he said. My Somali friend said that I can say it. Little, little did this guy know. You have the, the without due respect, you have, without due respect, right? Had the subconscious level, I could feel the power dynamics, really. And if I can actually go back to this chance, and I, I'm sorry, this quote, and I'm going to just briefly share my screen, right? If I can just briefly go to this quote, this is the reason why I'm telling, like, this is why I think as Africans, we have been the victims of what I call psychological violence. And Kabwegere wrote an article about this, about how psychological violence is used to produce colonial subjects. I felt like I couldn't say anything. I couldn't fully confront them. One of, this is one of the ways I say that we've inherited this psychological violence. When we're not willing to be able to stand up to racism because you're scared. Now I'm going to quote another article, the Shivji article that we mentioned again, right? You can view it. I'm going to try and put it in the link on my bio. He was describing how flogging worked in the colonial system. He said, and I quote, this antiquated system of disciplining workers was justified in racial terms. After all, the African was very low on the racial scale and like a child required compulsion to educate him and make him work, right? So let's also just reflect on that, right? 
it's like you're afraid of the subconscious backlash. It's like, how is it wrong for you as a person to call out racism? Like how? Right? And but you're afraid of the backlash. That is so that is something a lot of us experience. Ex- like I, I feel for so many of us here, because we're also many of us, some most of us probably that are listening are international students. And sometimes you might find safety in people of color, but honestly, they are not black. They are not going to understand. And you too, you are going to be feel so scared, going to feel so scared to call them out for their prejudice. It's a and then honestly, don't shame yourself. It's a it's a scary thing. Because you're like, I don't want to seem like an angry black man. I don't want to seem like a like a wild African in the in the in the wild. Like he's going, his mom is going to be right. He's going to go home. He's going to call his mom. He's going to be like, mommy, I saw a Negro today and he's from the bush. You never know though. Actually, I've t- I spoke to Ayamide about this, right? And this is one thing that actually I think about very, very, I think about it constantly. You see the way people are talking about, oh, using the N-word. And like, I've seen many, there's even another video talking about this Indian guy who wanted to marry someone who's biracial. And now how about apparently the, the child was going, going to have the, the N-word pass or some, some nonsense like that, right? So I don't know where this obsession with the N-word came, but I think about this daily, right? People are only afraid to say the N-word because Black people will find out. So let me ask this question. And if you're a POC, I want you, please, please, if you're a non-Black POC, I want you to just think about this, right? And I'm also worried about what the answers I will receive will be. I've wondered what happens when when there's a room in which it's only POC who are non-Black or only white people, right? And that song comes on right? Or not even the song. You just like the word, the N-word. You have an affinity for using it because hashtag cultural appropriation, A-A-B-E. That's the sort of vibe you're on, right? I wonder what happens in these rooms when there's no Black person in there. And it scares me to even think about that. No, no, Adnan, Adnan, you know what happened? Adnan, I, I, like, after, so what happened to me was I, I was in a group full of people of color, international students squad in my school. And this Bolivian guy who is white, he said, we had an, I had like an argument with someone from Morocco. And after the argument, I was like, he's a centrist. He's an 18 year old centrist. Sounds like he just finished watching Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson. He doesn't know the weights of having an individualistic mindset. I feel like we've all gone through that phase where we think, the world can be fixed if you stop saying men are trash. Like feminism has so many problems because feminism and dividing genders together by saying men are trash, we all go through that phase. So I don't have anything against it. But then this white Bolivian guy starts doing a speech on how, oh yeah, I can call my friend and my black friend allows me to call him Negro. And my black friend allows me to say Negro and nigger. Then he shows me a picture of his black he comes to me when I say how dare you he rushes to me and shows me a picture of his black friend that allows him to see it and you know after you know I was very pissed I calmed myself down I said don't you try that I left the space because I could not take that this um the day after like I talked to my other classmates and it was really calm it was really it was really calm because it was like they were all surprised that he said that so what happened after was what happened after was like I come back the next day, I'm like, oh, hi, to my Moroccan classmate. He was like, oh, he does not think that Bolivian guy is racist. 
he doesn't think he's racist. I was like, that's a racist F. I was like, he's a racist F. I'm going to let him know when I see him next time. I'm going to let this racist F I know that this is who he is. And you know what my Moroccan friend told me? You know what he told me? He said, even friend, that's really heavy word right now. That's heavy. That's heavy. And then thank, thank God, you're not really his audience, but like, the Bolivian guy should have not said it in front of me. He should have said it in, in like, he should have not said it in front of me. I know it sounds tribal, but it's exactly what you're saying. In the midst of people of color, he would have gotten away with saying the N-word. It would have been like, whoa, what are you doing? But it would have been like, you're not a bad person. You know what? You know what? Again, I go back to this. This is my G, Olatunde Alara. Like, he's my G, one of my mentor friends, someone that is, like, so intelligent. And it was the, it was this, um, it was this um, story of the, you know, the, you know, when white people, patriots, you know, these American patriots, you know, white people that really are deceiving themselves and their victims, those white people with those, those, uh, you know, annoying white people, na- Nazis. You know, when they went to the, what's they call that build, Capitol Capital, building, when yeah. they marched there, they marched there, they marched there, they said, I'm going to see AOC and I'm going to kill her. They were so sad. Like, <laughs> like they were really dead set on destroying that place. They were going to get dirty. You know, when that babe got, that, got killed, when they shot that babe outside, now saying, oh, I feel bad for her. Like, she wasn't there. She shouldn't have been there. It was her fault. It's her fault that she died, but I still feel bad for her. And Tune was like, why are you feeling bad for a person that is against your life? And I feel like, I feel like as people of color that are listening to this, I, I think, you, I don't think you understand. Like, I don't feel like a lot of people understand what we experience as Black people. I feel like, especially as Africans, we know what we experience. And also, I also wanted to point this out. The reason why Nigerians in America can talk nonsense and say we're doing better is because they're very, very privileged like Nigerians, already privileged in their land, that are able to have the funds to live with a claim with their families and move to a new country and have, have had access to top tier education through going to private schools and private institutions and they can become doctors and affluent in America because they were already privileged. They already had access, so they cannot talk. And as a Nigerian, or even as like a, don't you can't compare yourself as a person of color that their parents are immigrants. Your parents may have gone through so much, but you you really cannot compare yourself. Because it's even though you you did not probably did not have financial capital, you probably had social capital, so you are able to become affluent and rise up the ranks. So realize going back to the Capitol building, like this babe, she acted violently. Her actions are an act of violence. A person of color saying the N-word is an act of violence. Stop saying the N-word, period. And guys, I think because of time, what I'm going to do is just give uh, closing statements. <clears throat> and then uh, we're just going to close off the, podca- the, the podcast in general. But yeah, just as usual, I'm just going to say my final say. And then um, you know, we'll head off to you know, then uh, Ayomi Day. But just generally on this topic. Um, yeah, speaking of which... Just when it comes to this whole POC unity thing, is it possible? I think it's possible, but there's a lot more work that needs to be done. And 
that means acknowledging anti-blackness in all these different communities. That means acknowledging all these different biases that we might actually have towards, for example, as black people, towards Eastern Asians, uh, or as black people, uh, towards Desi people, all these different things that you know we have to really take into account. So when it comes down to this concept of POC unity, when it comes to the concept of BAME, I've already said, I don't think that term is becoming helpful anymore in terms of research papers. Don't put us together when the struggles aren't exactly the same, right? Because there's further intricacies. The second point that I'm gonna make, when it comes to colonialism, you cannot think, and it is, it's historically wrong to just assume that black people, people who are uh, obviously from the Indian subcontinent, that, that sort of area, uh, people who lived in Australia, people who are indigenous in the US, Canada, South America, Central America, how, 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 how are you going to assume that you're colonized in the same way? But there was one thing that they actually all shared. You know what? At this, this racial hierarchy that people had, black people were always at the bottom. So let's stop playing oppression Olympics. When a person, when a black person brings up stories of the oppression or about the history, don't say, but we were colonized too. Listen, because it's not, for the moment, it's not about you. And the fact that you think it's oppression Olympics, you think that somehow you can equalize the, the fields, that's, that's in and of itself, I'll say an act of internalized racism because you're focusing on those differences. You want to pit us against each other. That's the main form of <clears throat> ignorance that we're talking about. Then lastly, right, if we're gonna talk about forms of violence, right, if you're a person of color that's not black and you're out here saying, oh, but I don't support BLM. Yeah, I support black people's rights, but you know, BLM, they're always rioting, you know, oh, they're always out here causing havoc, you know? No, no, right? If you do not support Black Lives Matter, and I've told people this, right? That in and of itself, is an act of violence against me as a black person. And you might be like, oh, Adnan, you're dramatic. No, I'm not, right? Because you're committing an act of psychological violence. I told people, if you are silent in the face of injustice, that is an act of violence in and of itself. So if BLM is out here and less than 7% of the protests have turned violent, you need to read up, you need to educate yourself and need to start thinking clearly about what these issues actually are, right? That's my final words on this topic. Like POC unity, we really need to work on getting things together. Us as well in the black community, we haven't really dwelt on these different topics about how the black community in ways has been racist to other communities. But definitely we can talk about that uh, in different podcasts, but we know how structural racism works and where, who's punching up and who's punching down. Keep that in mind. And I'm gonna hand over to Yuna to make his closing statement. Uh, I was just going to say that you know, solidarity can exist, but not like under a liberal framework. So, you know, you must look at solidarity as, because um, at the end of the day, you know, I see like people of color, though we have uh, different, you know, experiences, but, you know, I also, like, I'm all for like liberation of everybody, like in the long run. And I feel that, you know, Liberation for black people will be liberation for everybody because you know if because like justice is very you know like justice is a very very strong thing like regardless of if you 
are in the fight or not, you know. Once there's justice, you know, it's his fear. Like justice is always fear. So, you know, I feel, I feel that this or even every time should be a time that they should address the anti-blackness in their own community. It shouldn't be like a specific time. It should be every time, because you know, it just just as you know, black people you know, are trying to unlearn some of our own problematic and anti-black or colonialist ideas i think other like groups or other like people of color should also do that and um i think they should also engage with black people they should talk to black people because i feel like most of them don't you know they don't engage with black people i don't know if it is fear or i don't know if it is from a place of um bigotry i don't know but I think they should engage with black people. Like we are not scary people. Like we engage if you actually want to engage. You understand what I mean? And you know, some people have tried to do it on clubhouse, like, but it's still very anti-black. Imagine you're in a group in a room where there's a Asian and black, you know, Asian and black solidarity. How can we, you know, mend the relationship? And then an Asian person said, Oh, I'm an international student from China and I had this um, notion that dark-skinned people are scary. And there were Black people on the stage and, like, in the room. And, like, why do you think that was important to say? Like, you understand what I'm saying? And they'd be like, and, uh, you know, Black people were like, yo, do you know that that is very triggering to say because there are dark-skinned people on the stage and also in the room. Like, why did you think that was important to, to say, like, you know, and the uh, Asian moderators removed all of the black people from the stage. What? So, uh, nah. you're joking. No, I'm I'm serious. What? Well, why would they do that? So, um, I don't know. I, I was in the room, like, and I'm, I'm telling you, <laughs> I was because I was like, wait, how can you say that you're scared of dark skinned people? I was like, and there are dark skinned people in the room. Nah, and uh, I feel like, so, I feel like, so, people like need you know, you know like when, when people try to like stop her, they're like, No, 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 let us say our own opinion. I'm like, That is not an opinion. Why is that a valid opinion? And then it goes back to psychological violence, and they like, don't that, even like they know, but they just want to do it. Test yeah, they just reaction. want to do it. Like, do you understand? Like, that's very, very violent to say. Like, Oh, I was so scared of dark skinned people. I couldn't even look them in the eyes in school. I'm like, why do you think that was necessary to like why do you think it was necessary for you to say that in a room where you are trying to build free speech? Free like, speech. come on, man. You're trying to build a bridge and you just said that, and then the moderators were Asian. They're like, oh no, 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 let to express herself. Oh, or maybe she doesn't really know what she's saying. Come on. They know. If they don't really know what they're saying, why is it that in every group they have a slur for black people? That's really that's an so, interesting yeah. question. So, like, do you understand? You go anywhere in the world. Because mm, yes. I kind of like the word almost functions as like a Abid as well. Yeah, Abid. Like, come on. Uh-uh. What's Abid? It, Abid essentially translates to slave. And well, which, when you go and I've talked uh, in the Arab Peninsula, a lot of people 
a lot of black people that I know have gone there have said at least once they've been called Abid. Wow. Right? So yeah, but like, we're doing closing statements for now. <laughs> so you know, finish off and then I'll oh, yeah. finish uh, off as well. So like you go to any community, like the darkest skinned people there are being, and you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, it is, you know, it is a result of colonialism. But that's a lie because there's some, there's some, um, you know, some caste systems that were already in place before European um, interventions in most of these areas. Like, and the caste systems were, caste systems were based on how you look. The, the darker, the lower your caste is. So do you understand? It is a work that, but, but I still feel like, you know, can still have solidarity but they have to they have to have a they have to have a um they must i think they must um un, really understand the students like pieces should not always compare their struggles to black struggles we have been struggling or we have been in this struggle from i mean has been like the struggle is you know 400 or more than 400 years old we're still struggling every day to get liberation so please do not compare any of our struggles to yours. Everybody's struggles are different, you know, but still similar in a way because we're also struggling against capitalism, but black people's experiences like is very, very different from any other group because globally your own people or, you know, people from your community can still be oppressing black people in the global South. So, you know, you must be very conscious of that. Thank you so much for having me. Adnan, I feel like it's even sad in the beginning, we had a, I even brought up um, uh, South Africa. Uh, the first, first podcast that we first had, me and Adnan started with me in school and like my other friends. And I was just using that as an example for, you know how he things like change my mind? There's this famous change my mind person on YouTube. I've forgotten his name. He's such an annoying Crowder. What's his name? Steven Crowder, I think. Yes. And I realized that when you have like podcasts or spaces dedicated to making a safe space for conservative and leftists or liberals to talk, it is not effective. It's just like an echo chamber of people shouting and it exposes, it really is a place for white fragility to thrive. It's a place for centuries to be enabled. It really enables violent thoughts and violent thought is apathy. And I feel like a lot of people of color are apathetic to black suffering, which was why I even compared, you know, in America, we can even brand people of color as Africans, privileged Africans, that have chosen an apathetic stance towards understanding Black suffering. They've chose to call Black Americans ghetto, or they are rats, or they don't know how to work well, or, or they, they've never been, they're not developed. They don't think well. And he realized that in the work, James Baldwin's, every, you know, James Baldwin was just such a great person. And he just always talked about apathy. And by choosing to be apathetic, and I always go back to choosing to be a centrist, choosing to say, I want to see all sides. I want to have peace. It's not about having peace. The world is not romantic. The world is not a beautiful place. It's sad. 
people are suffering and choosing to not care because you have privilege, choosing to say, my parents worked hard and, and not understand the weight of black suffering. You are making a choice to enable white supremacy. Apathy enables white supremacy. And like you know, when, when NSAS happened, you realize when you're such a, you're a privileged Nigerian, you live in Lagos, you've lived well, going to private schools, you've been able to travel around the world for education. You have such an apathetic stance. You do not care about your Nigerian brothers and sisters dying. You don't care to think about Biafra. You don't care to think about the suffering and the hatred and the prejudice that Igbo people have faced. You don't care. And it's an act of violence. It is a true act of violence. And you have to take the power to really critique your biases, your anti-Blackness. And let me tell you something, your suffering and your history is valid, but it does not compare to the years and years of abuse that Black people have faced. It does not compare. It is so valid. I understand where you're coming from. It is very, very valid, but it does not compare because Black people are still being victimized today. And Africa is still being victimized today and still being destroyed and obliterated for white, for white privilege and for this semblance of peace to be encouraged. And Nadan, I think I spoke to you about this, like this semblance of peace as a, like, you know, you're part of the diaspora and you're Black and you go to places like Europe and you live in Europe, you live in the UK. And you confuse that you confuse yourself, you deceive yourself into thinking that you're part of that piece, that this is your life now. You know, the nice, the internet access, the, the developed transportation systems, you confuse yourself that you belong. So you begin to take an apathetic stance towards black suffering. You begin to not care. I just feel like this is, I feel like the reason why this podcast is 10 times more powerful than anything. And it's so essential. And it will be stronger than Stephen Crowder's stupid debate or all those useless SJW videos being owned. And this, this podcast session and your podcast is so essential. It's because we know we don't need conversations between conservatives and liberals. Like, oh, let's, let's, let's like argue and see who is right. We need people to learn and to hear what black people have gone through. We need people, we need black people to learn and hear our history and to question our anti-blackness. We need to be indoctrinated. We need to hear the right information to make ourselves accountable to the violence we've inflicted upon others and the violence we're, we're experiencing now. We need to hear this. We need to process the weight of what it means to be black. This podcast is so essential. And I'm I just I'm happy that. So many people listen to it because it's such a healing space that we learn so many stuff and it's essential. We need to hear this. I just hope that I want like thousands of people to listen to Adnan's podcast. It's so essential. So yeah, like it, it truly is a place of immense information. I'm just so thankful for this space and for everybody listening because we're just learning. Because I think I told Adnan, it's not about people Oh, let's be safe. Let's not offend anyone. It's like it's like in Germany, how they made everyone understand the violence they inflicted on Jews. They made themselves accountable. They listened. They heard the history. They heard the painful history. 
And I feel like a lot of white people have not heard the painful history. It's been, it's been spoon-fed to them for many years. You need to hear it. And Black people, we need to process the violence. We need to process the years of psychological violence inflicted on us. So yeah. Thank you, Anand. Yeah, thank you so much, Ayamide. And um, again, thank you to everyone listening. I want to finish off this podcast. We've talked a lot about psychological violence and how at point, at some point through the colonial system and even in the post-colonial world, that some non-Black POC can actually be inflicting psychological violence on Black people. And I just wanted people to keep in mind, you know, if you think something like, oh, you know, just saying the N-word, right? When you say that word, it hits with the weight of 400 years oppression. That's exactly what it does. And <clears throat> I just want to briefly end on a quote from a man called Tarsis Kabwegere, and he wrote an article called The Dynamics of Colonial Violence. And on page 313 of, I think it's the, the journey, journey of Peace journal, right? If you go to that uh, journal, what you're going to find is, he says, that a social order established by use of violence seems to require the use of violence to overthrow it. So I think if people talk about what that actually means, for me, it just means having these uncomfortable conversations. And what we are doing by having this podcast is not to point fingers. We're not here to tell people that your race is bad, our race is good. We are here to establish facts and we're here to just tell people about experiences. And if you feel uncomfortable, then that's exactly the right way to be feeling because it's a violent process. It includes self-reflection. It includes having difficult conversations with yourself about your identity. And I think that it's very necessary if we even want to have a glimpse or even a taste of what POC unity looks like in our generation. Thank you so much for making time to listen to this podcast. My name is Adnan Shafi. Everyone, I hope you have a wonderful evening, morning, day, and I'll see you in the next episode.